Welcome to Catholic Confessions. Hello, thank you for tuning in to this episode on evolution and creation. I'm Edith, and unlike earlier podcasts, I do not have a guest speaker with me this time around, and will be doing this on my own. This is a topic of personal interest to me, as I used to be a biology teacher in a Catholic school, and I recall that whenever it came to teaching the topic of evolution, I sometimes had to deal with students' questions about whether the theory of evolution goes against Christianity. At that time, I think I was as doubtful and confused as they were, but I'm a lot more enlightened now, and I hope this episode can give you a clearer perspective on things. You might have heard about creationism, which is that God created the world according to exactly as is written in the Bible, over the course of six days, resting on the seventh, and everything was created more or less at one go. Now this idea would seem to conflict with the theory of evolution, which states that life on Earth developed and changed over the course of millions of years. This struggle between creationism and evolution has had some very profound consequences. In the field of education, for example, in Turkey, they have banned the teaching of evolution in their schools. And in the American context, you can find articles online talking about how teachers try to downplay evolution in their science teaching, or they try to introduce some form of creationism into their science classes. So we have evolution, and we have creation. Let's start with the science. With an event that took place in the year 1835, a young naturalist named Charles Darwin was on a visit to the Galapagos Islands. These islands are located off the coast of Ecuador in South America. If we were to visit the Galapagos Islands today, you can still see the same kind of animals that Charles Darwin saw. And these species cannot be found anywhere else in the world. Darwin was there as part of a geological survey, and he collected many specimens of wildlife. One group of animals interested him in particular a type of bird called finches. There were about 14 species of finches on the islands, and Darwin noticed that the main difference between these species lies in the shape and the size of their beaks. Some of the beaks were large and broad, and some were small and pointed. And then he began to wonder, could it be that it all began when only one type of finch from the mainland somehow made its way across the ocean to the islands and settled there. So let's say some birds settle in a habitat that is filled with insects. So in order to eat the insects, the birds will need a long and slender and pointed kind of eating instrument. So those birds that happen to have more pointed beaks will naturally be able to eat more of the insects and then they will survive better than those that cannot, and then they will be able to pass on their genes to future generations. And when you have this happening over a very long period of time, you will find that the birds in this insect-rich habitat will end up looking quite different from the original ancestral finch that came from the mainland. Now we come to the crux of the theory of evolution. If you apply the same idea of a common ancestor, to all species on planet Earth, and you sort of pull back long enough in time, could it be that all life originated from one common ancestor? 
If you Google Charles Darwin's Tree of Life, okay, I don't mean the movie Tree of Life, Darwin's Tree of Life, you can see what Darwin was thinking about. There are many uh, pictorial representations of the Tree of Life online. So you'll see the common ancestor, but that is as far as the theory goes. Because Darwin doesn't talk about how or why the common ancestor came about, because the evidence doesn't point to that. Science will stop where the evidence stops. So if we want to challenge this theory of evolution, we would need a rival scientific theory, which also explains the same topic on the origin of species. The question now is, do we have that in the Bible? Let's look at the first account of creation in the Bible, bearing in mind that there is a second creation account later in Genesis. If we look at Genesis chapter 1 to chapter 2 verse 4, and even if we just read it literally, does it sound like a scientific account to you? We can perhaps say that it does make a claim that God created the world in six days. But is this claim supported by empirical evidence, by observable, measurable data in the same way that the data now supports theory of evolution? I hope it is clear that the answer is no. Because the creation account doesn't offer a factual, scientific account of how things came to be, it was written hundreds of years before the birth of Christ, and definitely people didn't know science in the way that we know it now. So what is the creation account? The technical term is that it is a symbolic cosmogony. Cosmogony means theory that concerns the origin of the universe. So if we talk about the Big Bang Theory, that is a cosmogony, but that is a scientific cosmogony, whereas the creation account is a symbolic one. So for the Big Bang Theory, we have a lot of data, measurements, calculations that point to the occurrence of this event, whereas for the creation account, we have text, meaning that we need to go beyond the surface meaning of the text to unearth the actual meaning that it carries. So for example, God speaks 10 times in the creation account. 10 times is significant because it brings to mind the 10 commandments, which brings to mind living a life of virtue, of morals. So this indicates that God created the universe for the sake of goodness. If we look at Genesis chapter 1, verses 28 to 30, we see that God speaks to human beings after he creates them. He doesn't do that for any other part of his creation. And he gives human beings a mission. Be fertile and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. What does this symbolize? That we are unique and that we're the only ones capable of rational thought. And we are given this ability to live out our goodness by cooperating with our Creator. You can find several more of such symbolic details in the first creation account. To understand better what the creation account actually means, do refer to the Catechism of the Catholic Church, starting from paragraph 279 until 324. 
If you think you do not have time to read, you might want to just look at paragraphs 282 to 289, which talks about the catechesis of creation. In summary, I hope we can see that although science and religion both offer explanations about origin of life, science seeks to explain in terms of the how. Like evolution explains how populations change over time and how life on Earth could all be linked to one common ancestor. While religion explains the why. Why are we here? And it explains that the universe is created by a God who is himself uncreated, and that he is of perfect wisdom, and all life flows from him. So science deals with the how and religion deals with the why. There shouldn't be a conflict, and this unfortunately happens when people think that science can take the place of religion and vice versa. At this point, if you're still with me, you might be thinking, okay, yes, I get that the creation account is not scientific, but how about Adam and Eve? Are they real people? And doesn't the theory of evolution suggest that there is no need for a god or a creator? If there is a part two to this podcast, these issues will be explored. In the meantime, I will leave you with this quote from St. John Paul II. The Bible itself speaks to us of the origin of the universe and its makeup not in order to provide us with a scientific treatise, but in order to state the correct relationships of man with God and with the universe. Thank you for listening, and God bless. For more confessions, do check out our website and Facebook page. <laughs>